The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 through 12. Uh, if you're following in the Bibles underneath your chairs, it's on page 986. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we were proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So I will start by saying... As we've already heard, happy Mother's Day. This is my wife's first Mother's Day. Um, and I was reading in 2 Timothy this morning. It's uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. It's actually the last uh, epistle that Paul wrote. So he's saying some of his final thoughts on a life uh, uh, in the ministry and thinking about Timothy and him passing this on. And he says in the first couple of verses that... Um, I've identified in you, Timothy, a sincere faith, a faith that was first present in your grandmother Lois and is now uh, seen in your mother Eunice and is obvious in you as well. And so I was thinking about that, um, particularly in this body of believers, that uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great spiritual heritage uh, that the women are passing along. Um, and so I, I mean this not as cheap flattery, but genuinely uh, thank you. If you're a mother, thank you for loving your spouse well. Thank you for loving your children well. Uh, if, you, if you don't have children, if you're a sister in here and you, uh, that's not where you are in life, there is no greater thing that you could do than to pass on the love of Jesus to your children, to your family, and to your spouse. So thank you for that. Um, anybody ever heard of Henry Scogel? had a little wager that nobody was going to raise their hand. <laughs> so Henry Scogel was a, uh, he's a lot of things, but a, an author uh, in the mid-1600s. So he was born in 1650 in Aberdeen, which is in the United Kingdom. And uh, he, from a very early age, he grew up in a spiritual home. And from a very early age, um, Henry Scogel enjoyed reading the Bible. He enjoyed talking about things of faith. Uh, he enjoyed thinking about some of the deeper things of the Lord. And so uh, he went to Aberdeen University there in the United Kingdom, graduated, and ended up teaching uh, at a very young age. In fact, at 27, he was the chancellor of what was called the King's College, which was essentially their seminary school over there in Aberdeen. And uh, he had published several works. And unfortunately, uh, a year later, at 28 years old, Henry Scogel died of tuberculosis. 
And what's interesting about that is, from our perspective, 28 years is not a long time to live. But the impact that he has had on Christians over the last 375 years has been tremendous. Christians like Charles Wesley, Christians like George Whitfield, and even Christians today. And so one of his most famous uh, little booklets, they call them treaties, uh, one of his famous little booklets is called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And so there's a particular quote, the, I'm reading through it right now, it's tough to kind of wade through some of the old English, but there's a particular line in there that I want to read to you. It says, the excellency and worth of a soul are to be measured in the object of its love. I'll repeat it. The excellency and worth of a soul are to be measured in the objects of its love. So what that means is, what we love from a heart place determines the quality of our soul. And that's not just Henry Scogel's opinion. Jesus in Matthew 6 and Matthew 12 tells us that uh, from a, uh, a good heart flows good. From an evil heart flows evil. He also tells us that uh, where, your, uh, where your heart is or where your treasure is, there also your heart is. And so it's an interesting concept. So here's a question I have. What do you love? What do you love? And even to take a step further, what would your friends and family observe that you love? Would it be the same? Would it be different? So what we want to talk about this morning, what we spent time, uh, Randy, introducing last week, this week, and next week, is something that Jesus himself loved very much. And that's making disciples. In fact, Jesus, his very final words to his disciples were, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So it's interesting, you know, Jesus had all of eternity to figure out what his sign-off line was going to be, and that was it. Right? I mean, he could, have said, he could have said anything, and that's the last thing before he would meet his disciples again in glory that he wanted to say. And so we finished the Gospel of Luke, and it was the same thing. Christ ascending into heaven, instructing his disciples to go therefore and make disciples. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you could probably recite that from all the Gospels. What does it mean? What does it really mean? Last week, Randy told us that disciple-making at its core should be something uh, that we pattern our lives after because it can be a deep, deep reward. And so from a definition standpoint, let me just remind you, and this is the, the definition, this is not just what we'll work through through these next couple of weeks, but really moving forward um, because after uh, we finish um, thinking about what disciple-making is biblically, we're going to spend several months in the book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles, the first disciples of Christ spreading the gospel. And so this is something we want to think about, and we want to think about it well. So let me give you a definition. Our definition, we think it's biblically the definition as well of what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who is learning to worship Jesus in every area of life. 
And so what's interesting about the word worship is that it's tied very closely to love. So think about it from, from your perspective. You don't, you don't worship something that you don't love. That makes no sense. You only worship something that has captivated your heart at some level. And so Jesus has some very pointed thoughts. If, if a disciple is someone who's learning to worship or love Jesus in every area of life. Let me just read you, because I want to I offer this morning a large amount of biblical support, um, and then for us to be able to think about what we can do with it today. So in, in John chapter 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus is saying here that the primary identifier of who is and who isn't a disciple is love. It's, if somebody was describing me, they probably would describe me in a bunch of different ways, but uh, primarily I am a male. Well, a disciple is primarily identified by love. And so the Apostle John, later on in his writings in, in 1 John 4, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so if we are, as Christians, as disciples, as 2 Corinthians tells us, to be transformed or conformed, we ought to be looking more and more like Christ. That's what it means to grow in holiness, if we are to look more and more like Christ, and Christ is God and God is love, then it's fair to say we ought to be growing more and more in love. Let me offer one more verse. This is later in 1 John. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we've seen love is not just a primary identifier of a disciple. Love is who God is, but love also, here in 1 John chapter 4, it's the physical or the visible manifestation that God actually resides in you. So it's a confirmation of sorts that you actually know God and he knows you. So if that's what discipling is, because being a disciple, as much as we want it to be, isn't about something that we do. It's about something that Christ did by calling us to himself, by giving us the gift of free grace. And so then we have a response to that. And that response is what we're gonna call disciple-making. So let me give you a definition of disciple-making. So a disciple is someone learning to worship Jesus in every area of life. Making disciples, right? If we wanted to create that, if we had a factory and we were gonna create whatever we just explained, people who love, people who are learning to worship Jesus in every area of life, how do we do that? Jesus told us to, how do we do it? Well, first, what does that even mean? 
Here's a definition we're going to be working from. Making disciples is helping someone learn to worship Jesus in every area of life by sharing the gospel and our lives. And what's interesting there, so what you see is the two responses are by sharing the gospel and our lives. And next week, Jonathan's going to help us consider what it means to share the gospel. This week, what we want to do is think about what it means to share our lives. And, and really, these are the two earliest commandments that we see in the Bible. We see it in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus summed those up in Matthew 22, where he says, two commandments I give to you. And so, when we're thinking about disciple-making, what we're really talking about is what it means to love God and love people by sharing the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, and by sharing our lives. So loving God and loving people. Now, I want to be able to anchor this back to the text that Justin read for us earlier because this is where we're uh, sort of our home base for these couple of weeks. And, And it's important because I want us to be able to read our Bibles well. Right? I don't want us just to read ourselves into any text. So let, let's talk a little bit about, so from 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bible, turn there, it might be helpful to look at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And what's going on here, and, and Randy recapped some of this last week, is Paul was chased out of Philippi. So Paul had been transformed by the gospel on the road to Damascus. And he, he headed to Philippi and other places, and so he made his way to Thessalonica. And as he did in every city, he started making tents. We see that uh, account in uh, Acts. And then on the weekends, he would go share the gospel in the synagogue. And he just did that over and over and over again. And, and what he found with the Thessalonians was that there was fertile soil there, that the seeds of Jesus that he was throwing, that the Lord was watering. But before Paul could ever see what that seed of Christ became in the Thessalonians, he was forced to leave. They chased him out of town. And so he sends Timothy back, wondering, how are they doing? You know, think about it. If if one of us were to start a business and we were the visionaries, we were the ones with all the ideas, the infrastructure, the thought, and we had to leave before the business ever took off the ground, it's probably safe to say we wouldn't be too optimistic about how the outcome was. And so Paul, I have to, this is my own opinion, I have to think, he's wondering the same thing. Golly, I wonder what's going on with those Thessalonians. But Timothy brings back good news. In chapter three, Timothy came back and said, Paul, it had taken root. They are being transformed by the gospel. The work that you did, it meant something. The Lord used it. In fact, the Thessalonians were now being known in all of Macedonia and Achaia for their faith. Their reputation had gone out among them. The Thessalonians, who had abandoned and left idols, is what it says in the text, and learned to follow the true living God. And so Paul is recounting 
his ministry to the Thessalonians. That's where we're, that's where we're at in chapter 2. Paul is reminding them of the work that he did that the Holy Spirit used to produce the fruit of the gospel of Christ in their own lives. And so chapter 2, verse 8, that's the only one I'm going to read. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. That's where we get our definition of what disciple making is. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. So disciple making is helping someone learn to worship or love Jesus by sharing the gospel in our lives. So we're just going to do two things this morning. This is where we want to hang our hat. We want to consider what it looked like for Paul to share his life. What might it look like for you and I to share ours? I know we're a little late in the game here, but let me pray. Um, it's almost like, uh, you ever gone somewhere and forgot to brush your teeth? That's kind of what it feels like, preaching a sermon and not praying. So let me stop and pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your affection that we woke up this morning under your grace and not under your wrath. That you've been kind to us in so many ways. Lord, and we ask for eyes to see this morning the heart of Paul, the heart of your son, but also the heart of the Bible. Would you give us as unwise, unqualified sons and daughters the ability to see those things and see them as beautiful? In Jesus' name, amen. So what did it look like for the Apostle Paul to share his life? I want to look at the, the broader scope of the New Testament to think about that. I'm just going to read a couple different verses. I'm going to blow through some of these. 1 Corinthians 12. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. 2 Corinthians 1. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Philippians 2. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering... Upon the sacrificial offering of your souls, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Colossians 1. No, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. And 2 Timothy 2. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Jesus with eternal glory. And I could go on and on and on. So disciple-making to Paul, sharing his life was very simple. He was concerned more that others find their deepest joy in Christ over any comfort, over any personal gain. In fact, he was willing to endure beatings, uh, physical distress, emotional abandonment, 
relational hardship, and ultimately death, so that others would know the joy that was found for Paul in the person of Christ. How can Paul say, I will endure anything if it means you treasuring Christ? Who talks like that? Who, who, could, who could be that selfless other than Jesus himself? How could Paul say in Philippians 2, I'm willing to die and count it as a win if it means you knowing Christ? Who says that? How could they say that? Paul gives us a very clear explanation in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul says from the beginning, something happened to me on the road to Damascus. Because Paul hated Christianity. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that he persecuted Christians. So something greater than his hatred and persecution overtook him and compelled him. The word for the love of Christ controls us. It compelled to take a hold of, to grip, to hold fast. So Paul had been so moved by what Christ had done for him that he said, I have to tell anyone and everyone the joy that I found in Christ. Paul had seen something infinitely worthy of his affections. Paul had experienced all satisfying beauty and glory in the face of Christ. And he said, I will do anything. I will go anywhere for others to experience that same unending joy that's found in Jesus. And for Paul, it wasn't, it wasn't a hobby. In fact, no matter the cost, and it would cost him his life, he wanted to live in such a way to first treasure Christ himself and then bring as many people along into that as he could. And so there's a part of me that feels inspired by that, there's a part of me that feels like I admire that. Then there's a, a realistic part of me that says I could never do that. And a sinful part of me that says I don't know if I'd ever want to do that. Probably many of you are the same way. It, you can read something like the life that the Apostle Paul lived and feel overwhelmed feel uh, heavy burdened, feel uh, obligated or anxious, discontent, 
um, condemnation and shame for not being the kind of Christian that the Apostle Paul was? So that's really the next question then. That's what disciple-making looked like in the, in the context of the Apostle Paul's life. But what does it look like in our lives? What does making disciples, which is helping someone learn to worship Jesus in every area of life by sharing the gospel in our lives, what does that look like for us as Horry County Christians? It's really a two-part equation, and you may have seen it in the scripture referenced in the life of Paul. It's really two aspects for you and I to share our lives in disciple-making. And the first and foundational part of us sharing our lives is by first finding our deepest and highest satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Period. Psalm 36. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Psalm 43. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord. The first part of the equation for you and I is that we must find our pleasure and joy and happiness in the person of Christ. In fact, to find joy and pleasure outside of Christ is the essence of sin. That's Jeremiah 2. What's the second part? First part is love God. Second part is to love other people. What does that mean? <laughs> what does to love someone mean exactly? This is a pastor in the Midwest. Here's what he says. Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of of others. We're going to spend the next six months or so looking at early church Christians who were so moved by who Christ was and what he had done for them that they risked their lives, and it cost many of them their lives, to share that joy with any and everyone they met. And let me just let me just say this, if you're here and you are not stoking the fire in your own soul of love for Jesus every day, if you're not putting up roadblocks against the deceptive nature of your heart, if, if you're not moving onward and upward into Christ, you will never be able to love people because only a heart that treasures Christ can ever love anyone else. Making disciples isn't a duty of the hand. 
It's a disposition of our hearts. And Paul's heart was so enthralled by the beauty that's found in Jesus that he was able to love anyone at any cost to him personally. Making disciples at, at root has to take place in our hearts before it can ever seep into the works of our hands. And let me just, just, let me just say this. If, if, to, to my brothers and sisters in here who are struggling to, to love people, they're struggling to give their time, their finances, their lives, in the pursuit of helping others find their joy in Jesus. Let me just say this, and I say this out of love. Start making disciples by loving God and loving people or disobey. That's Matthew 28. To to my brothers and sisters in here who maybe you're hoping at some point in the sermon that that I give seven highly effective habits of disciple makers or uh, five things all disciple makers are doing or three steps to making the perfect disciple or whatever. Let me, your duty is not to do. Your duty is to delight and to delight in Christ as the primary source of your joy and your hope and your satisfaction. So let's get practical for a minute, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, let's get, let's get super applicable to us. Because here's what I think a misconception of what it means to share your life is, and, and it's wrong, but I've had this misconception, that's how I know it exists. That 2 Timothy 3 tells us, the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. We think that that means that we have to add to our schedules, right? That if I want to share my life, if I find the Apostle Paul very noble and inspiring, I have to have three breakfasts a week, I have to study the Bible with two people, I have to go out and share the gospel on the boardwalk, and I'm not minimizing any of those things. But what 2 Timothy 3 says that the the servant of God may be equipped for every good work, that doesn't mean that every Christian does every good work. It means that the Christian does their good work, the work that God has called them to. And so as uh, Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that each of us have different roles. So what discipleship looks like for us is taking the current pattern and rhythm of our lives and bringing someone or multiple someones into that pattern and rhythm. And as you're seeking to enjoy Christ, as you're fighting every day to find your pleasure in Jesus, you bring other people into that. That's discipleship. That's what it means to make disciples. I was fortunate enough. God saved me when I was 17 years old, my senior year of high school. 
And I was fortunate enough within a year to have somebody, and actually through the Ministry of Campus Outreach, who will be with us in just a couple of weeks, care, genuinely care, that I came to understand and know in a real way who and what the person of Jesus was. They spent time with me. They played video games with me. They went to the cafeteria with me. They hung out. They taught me how to read my Bible. They taught me how to share my faith. They taught me how to think about life and tragedy and happiness through the lens of the Bible. I've been personally shaped and molded because someone said, it is more important to me that Justin learns to find his deepest joy in Christ than any comfort or anything else. Because that's what discipleship is. It's, it's the art of uncovering and pressing into the mysteries of God, which Colossians 1 tell us are hidden in the person of Jesus and doing it intentionally and doing it with other people. And so, maybe you... Maybe you're here and you say, I feel unqualified. I don't know enough. 1 Peter 1 tells us that we're the priesthood of believers, which means you have been qualified with Christ. The moment that you went from seeing Jesus as eternally boring to infinitely beautiful, you were qualified in Christ. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same one that qualifies you to share in the joy of watching other people find their deepest delight in God. You're qualified. You are qualified. Maybe, maybe you say, I, I don't have time. I don't have time to meet and study the Bible with someone. I don't have time. I, I have no disposable time. Sun, sunrise to sundown, totally scheduled. Well, do you eat dinner? Bring someone over to eat dinner. Let them see what it means to love your spouse well. Let them, let them experience what it means to show your children the love of Christ. Invite someone into your life and together pursue Christ. Maybe we have a very, very large uh, uh, stay-at-home uh, mother population in this church. And maybe you would say, as I've heard some of you say, I'm up to my eyeballs in parenting. I, I, I can't even think about doing anything else. Why don't you reach out to another mommy who's doing the same thing and meet at the park, meet at the gym, 
Invite someone into your normal rhythm of life. And together, intentionally and specifically, as Hebrews 10 tells us, spur one another on to every good work. That is what discipleship is. And what, what do we get out of it? That's a fair question, right? Probably a little self-serving, but what do we get out of it? We get to be happy. Who doesn't want to be happy? Because in the Bible, happiness, joy, what's the definition that happiness is determined by your circumstances and joy isn't or something like that? That's not what the Bible reads. It's all the same. Joy, happiness, pleasure. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. This is Paul. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. You get an unspeakable joy to watch the gospel infiltrate and overtake someone's life. And someone that they found totally irrelevant, Jesus, they now see as the most infinite, all-spiring, inspiring, all-satisfying being in all of creation. That's a joy that the Bible tells us the angels long to experience. So let me conclude with this. Let me give you five practical things that you can do, that you can incorporate into your normal pattern of life with other people that may stir your affections for Christ, and by God's grace will stir others' affections for Christ as well. First thing, memorize scripture. A verse, a chapter. There's some in here who I know are trying to memorize whole books of the Bible. Hide God's word in your heart and do it with somebody. Number two, Pray with someone. I, I had someone uh, a couple of months ago um, initiate if I would meet with them once a week and pray, and I have been so influenced by their commitment to prayer. I've seen my prayer life, which is something that's been very difficult for me for most of my Christian life, transformed. Pray with someone. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So uh, there is something that happens when you pray that doesn't happen if you don't pray. Pray with someone. Number three, read the Bible daily. There is nothing better you could do this year and to read your Bible. In it are words of life and 
hope and truth. And Christian, you need them now more than ever. Read your Bible. Uh, find a, a, a reading plan and do it with someone. Your spouse, if your children are old enough to read the Bible, read your Bible. Number four, join a community group. If you, well, you can't make disciples by yourself. It's only in the context of people. And we get super weird when we stay by ourselves. <laughs> Join a community group. Be sharpened. Be edified. Be encouraged. Let the members of your community group deposit grace into your own heart. Number five. This last one. Find a couple of people. One, two, three, four. And be vulnerable with them. And not vulnerable in like a superficial worldly way, but vulnerable like confess your sins to each other. And let me just say, this is happening here. This is taking place in this group of believers. But let's do it more and more. Let me, let me close with this quote from Jonathan Edwards. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. Let's believe that, saints, and let's bring as many people that God places around us into that same truth. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that there was a moment, maybe for some of us it was a week ago, a month ago, 50 years ago, where we were enemies of you. Where we found you to be ignorable and unworthy of any affection or praise, but you did something. You did something in our hearts. You, 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 you had blinded us from seeing. We had scales over our eyes. And then at the moment that you decided, we saw you as infinitely worthy and beautiful. Would you take that seed, seed of the Holy Spirit, would you water it and grow it? That in the same way the Thessalonians were known in Macedonia and Achaia for their faith, that we would be known in this neighborhood, in this city, in this county for the faith and beauty 
that we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you make much of yourself at whatever cost to us? In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.